Brandon do every day. It really pops out and it grows. In my opinion, that sucked. What is going on, everyone? We're back. I'm Tanner Gomartin, Max Gritsula, entire hood joining me too. And it's been a while. It has been a while, and it's been a busy few months, too, for all of us here. Max and I finally graduated. Um, it's weird to say finally because we were only here at Temple for two years, but T, I think he takes the cake for what he did uh. with a <laughs> lifetime decision. He is now an engaged man here on the Philly Experience. T, if you want to say a few things. Before we talk sports, um, uh, go ahead. Um, yeah, I signed a lifetime contract <laughs> to be to be with somebody that I truly care for, somebody you know that that truly supports me. Um, I love you, Jocelyn Smith, and uh, can't wait to marry you. Yeah, that, that's adulting right there, and congratulations, Tay, from us here and all of the followers probably at uh, at home <laughs> right now, probably, <laughs> but. Hey, maybe, um, you know what, T and Max and I, we're getting out of college. Um, you were a few years older than us. I I know we look up to you for a few things, um, you know, job, um, making that decision too. And, um, again, congratulations to you. you. Thank you. Getting on to sports. We have the Sixers playoffs to talk about the Eagles draft and an off season trade um that really shook us up i know that and the phillies are playing baseball uh whether we like it or not there hasn't been a lot of talk from us about the phillies but we'll get into that as well but let's start off with the sixers playoff miami leads the series 3-2 after a 35 point defeat of philadelphia in miami embarrassing they play again tonight at seven in philadelphia This is an elimination game for the 76ers. It was an absolute body war for Joel Embiid last game. Tweaked his back for that that ball. He got hit in his already broken face. He's playing with that torn thumb, and he had a really bad concussion, too. In his first game back, he couldn't even look at his phone screen when he was playing. And he was obviously off in that first half, but he is taking a lot. Uh, you really have to admire Joel Embiid for still playing. A lot of players would have taken that surgery. They would have called their season over um, and, and had the other guys struggle to keep afloat in this playoff race. He had 17 points, five rebounds, two assists, seven of 12. Um, it was not a Joel Embiid-esque game. Uh, we can say that, but we can also understand why. I want to get into this question that's mm-hmm. been floating around Instagram, Twitter. Was it because he was thinking about the MVP? I know the answer, but I want to hear from you guys. Right. Was his first half because he was thinking about losing MVP? So, because I've been I've been filled in phone calls and listening to WIP for the past couple of days working, and a lot of people have been tacked and beat and have ran with that same rhetoric, and that is that. Embiid is moping and he's depressed about not winning MVP because everybody, you know, uh, of course it was universal for the most part that people thought that Joel Embiid should have been MVP. And in my opinion, he should have, um, we can get in just 
just to get into that a little bit, I think, you know, don't get, don't, I'm not taking anything away from Jokic. Jokic is a, is a great center. You could also give it to Giannis Antetokounmpo. There's an argument that could be made for Devin Booker as well. Um, in my personal opinion, you know, Jokic is not the best defensively. And I think that's the difference between, you know, Embiid and Jokic, but that's neither here nor there to get back to the question. I don't, everybody keeps saying that he's moped, that he was moping and that he wasn't the same Embiid. I challenge people to get a concussion, fracture their orbital socket, and go out there and play basketball while people are still hitting you in that fractured orbital socket. You're still suffering probably from the effects of the concussion, not to mention the fact that you have torn ligaments in your shooting arm, in your shooting hand. Like, people are not giving Joel Embiid the benefit of the doubt. And I understand he's the superstar. Like he's the guy, he's the franchise player and the team goes where he goes. And if the team struggles, if he struggles, the team struggles. If the team is successful, that means that he was successful. I understand all that, but to put everything on Joel Embiid is just completely unfair. And it, it almost, it almost says, you know, it almost takes the, the, the blame off of the other players. I mean, Let's look at this roster real quick. You're talking about a guy like Tobias Harris who's getting paid max contract money and is has up and down games the entire damn season. You're talking about Tyrese Maxey didn't show up. James Harden, who we traded Ben Simmons for, who we expected to come in and basically give a lift to this franchise, be the difference maker, and getting out of the, the second round of the playoffs to eventually going to the finals. He hasn't shown up. He's shown up only one game in this Miami series. I mean, we're not even going to get into the bench and how horrible and how many times, how many years have we talked about how horrible this bench is and how they don't score? I'm sorry, but to put all the blame on Joel Embiid, it's just completely unfair. Yeah. I think to answer your question, Tanner, I don't know if his performance was related to the MVP or not. I would probably say no. Uh, did it affect him mentally off the court um, behind the scenes? Probably. I, I would think so considering he had a great season, just like Jokic did as well. Um, but at game five, I think just to play devil's advocate, it is because Joel Embiid is that superstar player. You know, I know people want to make the excuses of, you know, he's got the thumb, he's got this, he's got that, which is true. And I certainly don't think I would be able to go out there and play through those injuries, at least at as high level as he can, uh, even with 17 points and whatnot. Obviously not his type of game that you're accustomed to seeing. But I just got frustrated with him out there. You know, he's the star player. He's the guy that people lean on, that look up to on this team. And if he's moping around, bringing the energy down, bringing the vibes down, keep fiddling around with his mask, keep touching his eye, keep holding his thumb, the rest of the team's going to suffer for it because the rest of the team outside of Harden is role players. But we knew that going in that Harden is not the same player. I think we saw that over the last few games of the regular season. And I think moving forward, the Sixers can't play well or can't win, I guess for that matter, on the road. They're just a completely different team. If you look at the stats between – Game five, and I don't want to put all the stock in the one game, but look at Danny Green. I mean, he's shooting the lights out at the center, you know, back in Philly. And then he goes down to Miami, and, and listen, he takes four shots. I mean, he needs to take more than four shots the way he's been shooting the rock. I know people, he's a polarizing figure. He sucks one game, and then all of a sudden he catches fire, almost like a cork moss in a way, but a little bit more consistent. And now all of a sudden, he's going to go in game five where you're thinking, all right, we're riding high momentum, coming off two wins in Philly. And now Joel Embiid had his great game in game four. Harden has 31 in game four. And then go lay an egg in Miami. It's, it's frustrating. And I truly think Miami, listen, they're a good team. They're not great. 
and they obviously play a lot better inside of the FTX arena as well. I mean, they shoot, they shot the lights out in game five, but that's not the be all end all, you know, they were able to get in penetration, get in the lane, Tyler hero, uh, lob attempts to bam out of bio floaters, mid range jumpers. I mean, they were really getting whatever they wanted. And I think the reason the Sixers lost is just because their lack of energy, you know, they did not come to fight, uh, especially once they got into that fourth quarter. I mean, things just got out of hand. I know they cut it to within, you know, what, eight or 10. And all of a sudden, then Miami explodes for like 10 straight points. And at that point, it's just unguardable, unstoppable. Uh, when you talk about Jimmy Butler, especially Bam Adebayo inside, who I don't think has been that great since MB came back. Um, the rebounding is what really concerns me, I guess, to wrap up my point. The Sixers just don't crash the boards. They never, they rarely get an offensive rebound. I mean, how many offensive rebounds have we seen Miami get? I mean, they just crash the boards. They get a ton of offensive rebounds. They tip it back out, second chance opportunities. And the Sixers struggle even to, de- to, to rebound the ball defensively. The only guy who really does is Embiid, and that's just because he's bigger than everybody else. So, when you, listen, when you got Jimmy Butler, you know he's going to give you 30. But when you have guys like Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, making like three, four threes in a game, I mean, what are you going to do? I, I just That's frustrating in itself. But, uh, you know, that's something I don't expect to happen tonight in game six back at home. Yeah, it, it really is the team effort here on, on display in this last game. Different story for Miami. Everyone was pitching in. Max, you mentioned uh, Struess, 19 points, 10 rebounds, 4 out of 10 shooting threes. He shot we know it's hard. from three 10 times. Who is this guy? Yeah. I had no idea who he was before this game. And for with that being said, on the Sixers side, Harden, 14, Harris, 12, Maxie, 9, Green, 6. Uh, we, we talk about Joel and B being off, but when you have that surrounding cast that needs to perform and it's kind of like an anticlimactic performance, you look at the Harden's performance in the last game and you go to this game only getting 14 points. I mean, that's not going to get the job done either way. If Joel and B's not playing at all, this team could have lost by 60. I mean, yeah. the performance level was off and I understand when guys are out, other guys step up, but who the hell is Paul Millsap? I mean, where, like, what's the point of even adding him onto that trade? His age, I'm sick of this. Uh, his production. We already have DeAndre Jordan, who we can't, who the Sixers cannot rely on at all. The Sixers were screwed to begin with. In the start of the playoff, you looked at the depth, and now the depth has even proven worse. You throw Korkmaz in there for a little bit, and you're like, oh, okay. Is this trash time in the game? No, it's the second period, and he's already in the game. It, it, it just, the way this rotation is set up at times and the depth of this team is just bound for failure. And you're going against a team like Miami Heat who are stacked with depth. I mean, you look at sixth man of the year, Tyler Hero. He's killing you. Every time that ball goes out of his hands, most of the time, 90% of the time, it's going in the basket. Nobody can stick on it. It is just... Yep. It's it's a hard-fought game. Jimmy Butler is on the other side. I mean, he's a warrior. And just yeah. across the board, it's a hard matchup. And when we talk about James Harden, is this his prove-it game for the Sixers? Or do you think the Sixers know what they're doing with him next season? Man, in my opinion, this entire damn season has been a prove-it year for James Harden. I mean, he he came in with the Brooklyn Nets this season, not in shape, Um Nursing a hamstring injury, not saying he was injured or not. I'm one of those guys. I don't believe in, you know, attacking players for being hurt. If you're hurt, you're hurt. I can't help that. But, you know, I've, 
from what I hear in Brooklyn, he was nursing a hamstring injury. He comes here. He, he basically, you know, after a couple of games, starts to play for us. And we never had that signature James Harden game for, for until game four, Miami, game four against Miami. I mean, it, and it calls into question whether or not it's even worth bringing this guy back on a max deal. I mean, what what version of James Harden are we getting? Are we getting Houston Rocket James Harden? You know, former MVP James Harden? Or are we getting this current washed-up version? And I hate to say that he's washed up at this point, but it's hard not to argue against that. I'm sorry, but the Philadelphia 76ers have given away way too much money to guys like Tobias Harris on potential without anything to say that you got any return on investment with. It's frustrating at this point. If I were the Sixers, I'm sorry. I'm not bringing him back on a, on a max deal. I'm not. If he takes like a reduced couple year deal, that's fine. But there's no way in hell you can justify bringing James Harden back on a max deal. There's no way. I agree with that. I don't think you can bring him back on a max contract, but he does have that player option, I believe. So he'll probably be back for one more season. Uh, listen, I'm still picking the Sixers to win this series. I think they can get the job done in these next two games. I think they have more star power. They have more firepower. It's just going to come down to them being consistent throughout. I mean, we've what? seen Maxi drop 35-point games. I mean, he scored nine in game five. That's not going to happen every single time. They have to play their best two straight games, and if Embiid can get back to wherever the hell he was in game three or four, they can win this series. Tanner, you mentioned the depth of the Miami Heat. They definitely ha- do have some solid depth. Now, when they play at the Wells Fargo Center, it's a different story, and the Sixers just seem to be, obviously, a much better team at home, and I don't think they'll have a problem winning this game tonight. The question is, can they go down to Miami and win Game 7, something they've had three shots at and they haven't done yet. Now, you look at George Niang, a player to highlight, this guy is just not shooting the ball well at all. 0-6 from downtown in Game 5. He was 0-7 from downtown in Game 3. He's simply not somebody you can rely on right now in the playoffs. I don't think he's playable, personally because he can't really attack you off the dribble and he's not his three point shots, not falling right now. So I think what you're going to need to see, especially as these next two games go on Matisse Thibel, you're going to have to play him more minutes. I know offensively he's an issue. He's he's, it sucks to deal with. He can only really, you know, play defense, obviously get steals, but we saw him uh, hot or cold as far as shooting that three ball. I mean, he's majority of the time, probably like 75% cold, 25% hot, but his defensive intensity that he brings is important because the perimeter of Miami is so dominant. You know, guys that can shoot the basketball and ball handle. We talked about it. Oladipo off your bench, Hero off your bench, Struess, Gabe Vincent, Jimmy Butler. Those guys are all perimeter players. And when you have Shake Milton out there who's undersized and he's not really a good defender and whatnot, Korkmaz, who you're bringing off the bench at times, the Sixers just don't have the perimeter defense to really handle all these defenders. So Thibel only getting 11 minutes in game five, I think, really hurt. Because then you're left with Korkmaz, you're left with Milton, you're left with Maxi, who can defend at times, but really not really his calling card. And also Danny Green, uh, who, in, in, you know, in his defense has played much better in this series than what we've seen in the past. But if Tobias Harris and Maxi and Harden, if they can all put these next two games together as well as Embiid, they can win this series. I don't see any problem with it. I just don't think you can play George Niang. I think, and I hate to say it, I don't think you guys are going to agree, I think Korkmaz needs to see more minutes just because he's a three-point shooter. I mean, he's a guy that you can put. Now, listen, you can't play him with Thibel because those are just two minuses for you. But if you can get him in there to sub with Embiid and have, like, Maxi and Harden surrounding him, and all he really needs to do is sit in the corner and shoot the three, what I probably would do is start Green, obviously, the way they've been doing. But when Green needs to go to the bench or Maxi needs to go to the bench, that's kind of when you bring in Korkmaz because 
if you bring a cork moss and thibble that can thibble can kind of substitute the defense for danny green when danny green's off the floor and cork moss at least gives you one more uh perimeter threat from beyond the arc because i like look at these names guys like niang he's just been poor you know you look at milton who i guess he's gonna have to play just because he's a backup guard but he's not really giving you anything offensively right so you're really out of options I agree with you wholeheartedly, yeah. and it, with the whole thing giving the minutes to Corkmans. I mean, who the hell else are you going to give minutes to? That's, right? Yeah. I, I mean, mean at least he can knock out an open <laughs> shot. Is my point hey, at times. Yeah. I mean, you got you the, have to try at times. But that's the thing, at though. Times. Exactly. That's the thing, though. At times, and that's the part that's frustrated me the most about this damn offense and this damn bench is the fact that. How many years, like I said before, how many years have we complained about this bench, how inconsistent it is, how you don't really have that one guy that you can bring off the bench to help you score in games? That's the part that's frustrating me the most with this team. It's the construction of the team. There's no way in hell people really thought, well, there is after the James Harden trade, but people really thought that we could go deep into the playoffs. And I look at other teams' bench. I look at Milwaukee's bench. I look at Miami's bench. I look at the Celtics' bench. Those guys are deep, deep deep with talented players on their bench not us yeah and I, I it has a lot to do with what other teams do in the playoffs too as well t because you look at this team why wouldn't they be able to do better than they did last year they don't have ben simmons anymore they add a player like james harden on paper i mean this looks like an ideal situation but right now in this current situation this team is fighting to get past that second round still the same story over and over and over again. And we did talk a little bit about what needs to happen in this game six, but for you guys, the key that you're circling, if the Sixers don't get this done, they're losing the series tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're going to lose the series anyway, if they don't win tonight. But the big thing for me is, you know, what's, what are you going to do in the off season? There's already rumors that. God damn it. T, come on. We got a game six tonight. What are you talking about the offseason for? Even if, okay, so so the hell, I'm going to be honest with you. So the hell what they win in game six. So the hell what? You're going to lose in Miami for game seven. You might as well start talking about the damn offseason at this point, Max. Let's be honest. That's here. some negative energy. Hey, to be fair, you said they wouldn't even win two games. I remember this. The season started, or the series started. I said, well, you know, they'll at least win two games. And you were over here saying, you know, they, they won't even win a game. But continue yeah 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 I'm, I'm always the negative nancy i'm always being tacked as a negative nancy i'm sick of y'all anyway look <laughs> look all i'm saying is even if they win game six okay they go back to miami they don't have a history of winning road games in a playoff series they they this team doesn't so what gives me the confidence if they are somehow in some way able to win game six tonight that they're gonna go down to miami and win a game seven and move on to the eastern conference finals like, what, what gives me that confidence? I don't know what you guys see, but I don't have no confidence in that. I'm sorry. Let me ask you this question. Do you think the way the Sixers have been playing, they're kind of rolling out the same rotations in and out? Obviously, George Niang is going to see playing time. I just feel like he shouldn't or he can't see a lot of it right now the way he's playing. Do you think that Doc, in his opinion, is just going to be like, we're riding or dying with our guys? Because we've seen Niang catch fire and go, you know, five of seven from downtown in a game. Is that something you guys think he can, you know, pull out of his ass or is he in trouble as far as you don't see him getting any like better production in this series? Like, can you, can you see him coming out here tonight after an 0-6 performance from three, after an 0-7 performance from three, get in front of the home crowd and all of a sudden he's knocking down shots because you have Niang and you have Korkmaz, my opinion, two of the better three-point shooters on the team. 
And if you have Harden out there kind of facilitating, I just feel like when you have Thibel, or excuse me, when you have Harden out there with like Thibel and guys that aren't really great shooters, Shake Milton, for example, like that's when Harden gets in trouble because he, in his opinion, thinks he has to do too much. That's when you see a lot of isolation ball, driving to the basket, looking for the foul that's not called, throwing his hands up in the air, not getting back in transition defense. But if you can surround them with Cork Miles on the perimeter, with Niang on the perimeter, you know, does that, do you think that gives the Sixers a better shot? Because then you have Harden able to attack, penetrate, and then dish. And Cork Moss and Niang are really just asked, hey, stay out there and knock down a triple. That might be an op- another way to go about it. I just feel like from what my previous statement was, Niang just struggling right now. So it's, it's you know, flip a coin. But let's be honest Yeah, here. Niang with that, he has that knee injury. Yeah. Um, And for me, with, with this Sixers team, I mean, once again, they're doomed because in this last game in Miami, Spolster brings out Duncan Robinson. He's been talked about with his contract, only playing a minute this entire playoffs. I mean, this guy was a starter in the 2020 uh, NBA Finals run that the Heat had. And I believe in this last game, he got six points. Or no, he was he played six minutes. He went scoreless until garbage time at the end of the game. But you're this far in the series. You're this far in the series, and you're bringing out new legs guys who who can perform i mean duncan robbins he's no you know elite player i'm not saying anything like that but when you have have the depth that miami has i mean that takes you far especially against a team that lacks depth like the sixers with the rotation too and you have guys like niang who i mean weirdly can shoot from three um, I have my opinions on Niang. I, I think he's he's a clutch player, but I don't think he's the What's answer he for, for the Sixers going forward uh, with, with bringing him off the bench. And, yeah, with, with Doc Rivers, there's problems with him too. Um, and really, season control of the game is most important for the Sixers, especially in Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia has more of and it's weird because the Sixers haven't had success in Miami but there there's more of a control for the Philadelphia crowd you look at Miami games I mean there's barely anyone in the crowd and also Kyle Lowry wasn't playing in the last game why can the Heat only win without Kyle Lowry it seems yeah, I, uh, I when, when he's def- such a nuisance on the court they have to defend without fouling too how many times did we hear a whistle on the defensive end on the Sixers I mean they were shooting free throws left and right yeah. down there in Miami that's so the, the Sixers th- need to defend without fouling that's big and that's the thing with Paul Reed as well everybody you know is trying to pull for Paul Reed and try to get him more minutes but you know he, he's a foul machine I'm sorry he, he just does not know how yeah. to defend without fouling that's the big thing about him otherwise he probably would get more minutes I just we we all need him B to come out tonight and be the aggressor. I mean, listen, the Bam out of bio can't defend him, you know, and B's got like four or five inches on him. He's just a better player overall. And then, you know, one thing that really frustrated frustrated me was when we saw Dwayne Dedman come in and back up roll minutes. And the Sixers just weren't feeding MB. Dwayne Dedman has no shot in hell of guarding Joel in the lower post. And if they double him, then pass out of it and knock down an open shot or or attack and penetrate. But when you have Dwayne Dedman trying to guard Embiid one on one. You better get him beat the ball in every single possession. Every he better get a touch on whether he scores, what he passes it, who knows? Doesn't matter. But he better get a touch because I can't sit there and watch the TV screen and see Dwayne Dedman in a game and be like, all right, why isn't why are we shooting threes and Harden's doing his step back nonsense? You got to feed it inside and get the easy two underneath, and probably going to get fouled for free throws because Embiid always gets fouled. I mean, that's another thing. The free throws for the Sixers, Embiid barely got to the line in Game Five. 
Whoa, Max, you, yeah, you it, said something interesting. Well, hey, wait a minute. MB's got four or five inches on him? Wait a minute. It really pops out and it grows. Whoa, Max. Yeah. Well, Max. Wow. Sure. Pause. Whatever way you want um, to take that. <laughs> when, you, <laughs> when you look at the Sixers, and um, that just completely threw me off. I have no <laughs> idea where I'm going with this now. Um, but for the Sixers, um, one thing I notice about their game is when you're coming off a turnover, Miami turns the ball over. Why are you shooting a three instead of going for those free? You know, you want to walk away with something off of the turnover. Yeah. And I think really focusing on getting a three after that turnover is the wrong move because when you go under uh, easy layup, you're walking away with two free points that you would not have had uh, due to the turnover instead of zero points after the, the miss on the three. And it, it seemed like they were doing that on purpose immediately going to the perimeter, trying to find that open shot instead of going down the middle. Um, that's just something small, which would have helped in this 35 point deficit, but gentlemen, let, let's get into predictions for this game before we switch topics here. The 76ers. My first question is, are they winning this game tonight in Philadelphia? And my second question is what does Joel Embiid's stat line look like? Uh, points, rebounds, and assists. Go ahead, T. In my opinion, do they win tonight? You know what? I think the last time I checked the line, a lot of money was going to Miami's way. So I will take the 76ers tonight. Embiid needs to have one of those nights. Well, definitely a bounce-back night compared to the other night. But he needs to have a stat line along the lines of 20-plus points, 10-plus rebounds. That's the only way they're going to be able to pull this out. If they don't, if, if Embiid does not produce that type of stat line, if Embiid... If Embiid comes out and is at least 75 to 80% of what he is capable of, the, the Sixers will win. If not, series is over tonight. I think Embiid's going to get 25-plus points. I think the Sixers win by 8 or 10, um, and they get the job done. They're not, they never really blow a team out of the water. We rarely see that from the Sixers team, but I think they're going to get the job done tonight. I still predict them to win the series. I think they're the better team, but they got to put it all together. You know, you can't have Embiid go for 28 and Maxi score 9 again. Maxie's going to have to turn up. We've seen him do it before, um, and he's usually not scared of the moment. That's one thing I love about him. Um, and he's going to find his mojo. I think we know that. Harden will be in his ear. Um, and, and James, at this point for him, you saw game four, 31 points. He comes back, and he struggles for the most part in the game five like everybody did. It just sucks because you really don't know what you're going to get from him. But he's going to need to give you 20-plus. I know that uh, if the Sixers are going to walk out of here with a victory. Tobias Harris? Uh, give him credit. He's had, he had, he's had a good series, especially on the defensive side of the ball. He's, he's played well. He stepped up. I think he was one of the few Sixers that really showed heart in that game five, even though they got blown out. Um, didn't really quit on the team at all. Um, and it continued to play hard even when they were losing by a lot. But he's another guy, part of that big time four that the Sixers are going to need to put together. Um, and then the role players are going to have to do their thing. You're going to have to have Danny Green. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to go for like seven threes again but you're going to need a couple from them. And uh, I think the Sixers pull it out. Yeah, we're on the same boat here, boys. I do think the Sixers are going to pull it out. I think it's going to be a closer game, maybe four-point game. Um, And I do think Joel is going to get over 20 points. I'm going to get specific here. I'm thinking 24 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists. Triple-double for Joel in this game where his back is against the wall. He wants it so much. He needs to facilitate it then, right? He's going to – I mean, he's not going to give you 40. So pass out of it and get the open shot. So basically needs to turn into you. Yeah, definitely. Focus on the turnovers too. Don't turn the ball over. That's the big thing. I mean, how many times have we just seen sloppy play? I mean, it's it's been bad. 
Yeah, and uh, once again, those injuries. And he's also wearing that upper face mask, yeah. too. It can't be comfortable at all. I'm surprised any of his shots are going in with that mask. But let's talk some football, boys. Woo! The Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles, if you've ever heard of them. Uh, they finished their draft. Um, it's been, what, about a month now, it feels like. And their top picks are in with Jordan Davis out of Georgia, defensive tackle, Cam Jurgens, who is going to be back up to Kelsey this season. Um, out of Nebraska, Nakobe Dean called a steal, the top steal in this draft. Also from Georgia, Johnson, linebacker out of Kansas. And someone helped me out with this last name of this tight end coming out of SMU, um, Grant. And I'll <laughs> let the fans finish that last name because I, I'm struggling with it. I've been struggling with it a few times. Uh, I'm not even going to try it if anyone else wants to. Yeah, but tight end depth, not really what I was thinking of going into the season, but I, I appreciate it because you understand you have Goddard as a young, what is he, 27 now? Yep. Still Dallas very young. Goddard. Yeah. Yep. And the promise he has um, building off of his performance when Ertz was on the team, taking that solo now and um, having, uh, having a backup too, which hopefully the Eagles don't need. But let's assess this draft. What is your letter grade for the Eagles in this draft? And not even getting into that offseason trade yet. What is just the specific grade on the drafting of the college players? Just just the, the draft itself. It's hard not to give them at bare minimum an A-. minus. I mean, that's what they're getting from me. I mean, you're talking about three home run hitters. I mean, you're talking about a, a defensive animal in Jordan Davis who can take up two blockers just by his damn self. I mean, you're talking about a big guy who ran like a, a four, seven, something 40. I mean, this, this guy is going to eat up blocks. This guy is going to free up linebackers in the run game, which is something that they struggled with last year because they're trying to run like a hybrid schemes. They sometimes want to switch it up from a four, three to a three, four. They kind of want to confuse the opposing offenses. We kind of saw variations of both last year and they, and there were times where they did struggle stopping the run because the defensive tackles could not eat up blockers. Well, Jordan Davis is going to automatically command two guys because if you put one guy on Jordan Davis, he's just going to maul him and destroy him and eat him for breakfast. So Jordan Davis is a hell of a pick. Cam Jurgens, it took me a minute to kind of process that one because I'm like, okay, I understand why they picked it, but this high, but you know what? I'm comfortable with it. You know, Kelsey has been on the fence for a couple years now. And how many times if I said that you need to eventually find Jason Kelsey's replacement, it looks like they have, I did see Cam Jurgens tape. That guy is a Kelsey replicate, man. He runs like Kelsey. He, he runs out on the open field to block like Kelsey. He is, he is basically another Jason Kelsey. I'm excited for him. I don't think necessarily he's going to be a backup, I do think they're going to try to put him into the starting lineup at right guard to get him some experience until Jason Kelsey retires. So I think that's what they're going to do with him. And then the steal. Oh my gosh. To get a first round linebacker in the third round, that's a steal. Nicobe Dean is going to be a beast for this defense. You finally, you get a stud linebacker who was the leader, who was the captain of that stout, dangerous Alabama defense. I mean, they. Th this was a hell of a draft for Howie. All, hats off to Howie. I, I, I. We attack Howie all the time about his drafts, draft picks, and so how they work out. Especially, you know, his history with drafting wide receivers. 
it's not too many things you can complain about this draft. It, it's not. I agree. Yeah, A minus for me. I mean, Jordan Davis, absolute monster. It was either between him or Kyle Hamilton for me, but having to, you know, bulk up the trenches like that, you have Hassan Radical be coming off the edge, Josh Sweat hopefully uh, able to get back healthy as well. Uh, defensive line should be pretty sturdy for the most part. The Kobe Dean's absolute monster. Cam Jurgens, I wasn't loving at first, but then you got to go back and look at, you know, safeties and corners that are in that position when this Eagles are picking. You don't want to reach on a guy who still might be available in the third round, depending on trades and stuff like that. So I like the Eagles didn't reach. They took one of the players that they thought was going to be a stud, uh, Cam Jurgens, for the future because the offensive line is always huge, both in the trenches. If you can win there, um, you know, you're ahead of the game. And also getting A.J. Brown on draft night was absolutely amazing, too. So, Secondary is still a question mark, but having the Kobe Dean and Jordan Davis, two absolute studs from that Georgia Woo! defense uh, last season, I mean, you got to love it, honestly, for the, mo- for, for the most part. Uh, there's still questions, like I said, with, this, with the safety. I thought they were going to get the Honey Badger, and they didn't do so, but um, you got to love the draft in itself. Yeah, let's take a moment to applaud that A.J. Brown is a Philadelphia Eagle. Let's just take a moment because yeah. that really helps. Definitely. That really helps. Come on, T, clap. Put your hands together. Say clap. I did clap. <laughs> it really helps Jalen Hurts case trying to prove himself for sure. hundred percent. You bring in, um, quote, best friend of Jalen Hurts, um, a guy who knows how Jalen works. They've been working together in this offseason. Um, the fans should have seen it happening earlier. Uh, it still came as a surprise during draft night. I mean, the T and I on Instagram live, being able to see that, that role, uh, reaction of AJ Brown is a Philadelphia Eagle. Um, I mean, that, that's, it's great for all the Jalen hurts fans. It's great for Jalen hurts himself. And it's great for Philadelphia Eagles because you get to see a playmaker like AJ Brown in a, a top wide receiver, like AJ Brown, who always is fighting to be that a thousand yard receiver. Last time the Eagles had one was Jeremy Macklin. And that was years and years ago, but, to really assess Jalen Hurts and Howie Roseman understands this and whether or not he had a good draft this season, you still can't look past the mistakes he's made. And, um, you know, it's Howie Roseman is Howie Roseman. He's still the same guy we know calling um, other quarterbacks last draft to see where they, you know, what they were thinking uh, in the draft. And even though saying Jalen Hurts was the starter, um, it, Howie Roseman is a guy trying to save his job. All right. He understands what? what needs to happen in order for him to save his image. Uh, he also understands what needs to happen for the Eagles to be a successful team. And having a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, he, I believe, ranked like in the four tier of an unknown quarterback, but also trending in the right direction where this is the season he needs to prove himself. We talk about arm strength. Um, which needs to be fixed. And, and A.J. Brown understands his arm strength, and I think that's really going to help. And now Devontae Smith, they played in college, but they also played in the NFL now, too, a season. He understands, and he was frustrated at the end of the season when the ball did not go towards him. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the splits between um, Smith and Brown. But when you have a mobile quarterback like Jalen Hurts, he cannot rely on his feet to win games anymore, especially with the weapons he has. That can't be an excuse anymore. If he cannot be precise with his targets, accurate with his targets, he's not the answer at quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. And we're going to get our answer, whether we like it or not, this season 
and you look ahead to quarterbacks like Carson Wentz, who is now considered just a bridge quarterback. Max, whether you like it or not, Carson <laughs> Wentz is just a bridge quarterback at this Boy, point in his career. Uh, it's unfortunate because of the promise he had. Um, and that, believe me, I was on that wagon. We all were. Um, but now the future is looking at Jalen Hurts. And guys, if Jalen Hurts doesn't work out, I mean, this once again, that's going back three years now. Well, that's stepping the- back three years, figuring out who you're drafting in this upcoming draft, who, which is going to be filled with quarterbacks coming in. And I think that's the reason why that's another reason why I really commend Howie, because not only did he set the Philadelphia Eagles up for potential success this upcoming season, but in the case that Jalen Hurts does not work out, we still have two first round picks next year that we could package and move up to the draft, move up in the draft to select another quarterback. So yes, Jalen Hurts does have a lot to prove this year, but the Philadelphia Eagles are still on a good projection to be successful. It's a win-win. If Jalen Hurts works out, we have our quarterback of the future. We can use those two first-round picks to bolster up the uh, bolster up the team even more. If Jalen Hurts doesn't work out, that's fine too. You can package those two first-round picks, trade up in the draft, and get to and get your quarterback of the future. Either way, the Philadelphia Eagles win, and. That's not something we've been able to say in past in past years in past drafts. I mean, you 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 hit on it. Howie Roseman has not had a whole lot of success in in recent drafts, especially at the right receiver position. But it seems like you know he's getting this shit together. He's getting things together now, and you got to commend him for for this one. You do, and a lot of the things that you said about Jalen Hurts is right. You hit the nail right on the head. This is Jalen Hurts' final opportunity to prove that he is the franchise. He is a franchise quarterback. You have your best friend, A.J. Brown. I mean, A.J. Brown was putting up 1,000-yard seasons and an offense dominated with by Derrick Henry, and you have a quarterback like Ryan Tannehill throwing to you, yet and still he's still putting up 1,000 yards a season. That's a hell of an accomplishment. You have you still have Devontae Smith. You still have Dallas Goddard on this offense. You have a rebolstered, off-strong offensive line you still have miles sanders in the backfield this offense is set up for success we've seen the ability of nick seriani and being able to change an offense according to the personnel which is something that i have always been commendable of and that's something i gave nick seriani last year a ton of credit for so i'm not too worried about nick seriani and what he's going to do with these offensive pieces i know he's going to figure it out and i know he's going to have so much fun scheming up ways to get these guys open it's just now the ball is in jalen hurt's hand you know, to you say we have Miles Sanders available until he gets a paper cut and misses half the season. <laughs> so let's pump the brakes there life. on Miles Sanders. But I really do like this offense. You had Devontae Smith uh, and A.J. Brown, two very sturdy and solid receivers on the perimeter. Dallas got a very, very good tight end and a very good offensive line. So things are set up for success for this offense. Um, you know, I wish they had a better running back coming out of the backfield, but if Sanders is somehow able to stay healthy, it could be a win. He's in a contract year. Uh, you know, we talked about that. So you hope that gives them a little bit more incentive to produce at a high level. Um, and then Jalen Hurts is the key. Now, I don't think it's going to work out. You know, I think Jalen Hurts is going to play out this year. And then I think the Eagles are going to go out and find their true quarterback, whether it be through the draft or, you know, who's ever available via trade. Um, and then you have to bring him in there and, and get this offense rocking and rolling. You know, I think um, when you talk about the defensive side of the ball, I like it a lot. You know, the Hassan Reddick was a great signing. Jordan Davis, a great pick. Nicobe Dean in the middle. There's still positions here, especially that second cornerback position uh, outside opposite of Darius Slay. 
but it definitely is shared up a lot with two Georgia monsters coming into this defense this season. It's definitely going to be the top. I, I expect it to be in the top half of the league on the defensive side of the ball. Wow. I think they're going to be able to rush the passer with Hassan Reddick and Jordan Davis. Fletcher Cox is no longer going to have to be relied upon as like the number one defensive tackle. You're going to have uh, more depth rotations with Hargrave in there as well. Um, Sweat, BG coming back. Hopefully he can at least be one of those defensive uh, rotational uh, defensive linemen. Uh, so there's definitely depth there. I, I like what Howard Roseman has done these last few months. It really has worked. It, I think it's going to work out well uh, on both sides of the ball. And to win a championship, you have to have, you know, 11 on one side, 11 on the other that really you don't have a weakness. And if you do be able to cover it up, we talked about the Super Bowl season, you know, Jalen Mills was a starter on that team and we know how bad he sucks, uh, but we were able to really cover him up because we were able to get to the, to the quarterback uh, and create some havoc. So uh, Derek Barnett, I didn't mention him. We'll see. I mean, he, he's not good and he hasn't been good, but he's not going to be relied upon to play, you know, half the snaps because we have more depth now. So um, I, I like it. I really do. I just think Hertz right now uh, is not the answer. And I really wish we had an actual like solid top 10 quarterback, because if we did this, this team, this team, we could make it an NFC championship run. I, I truly believe that if the quarterback play was better than what it is right now. And that's no knock against Hurts. I get it. You know, I want to have faith in him. I'm going to watch the season. We're all going to have fun watching and we're all going to root for him. I just feel like he's not going to be the answer long-term. And I, and I think he is what he is right now. I just don't see him getting much better moving forward. I think this is where he's at and it's going to suck. I just hope they pull the plug quickly enough. Uh, so AJ Brown doesn't get two years, three years older. And all of a sudden the window's closed. Yeah, and the window, as you mentioned, for success is is, is this time for the Eagles. Whether Jalen Hurts works out or not, you got to be able to find that next quarterback really quick and fit him into this scheme. Make sure he is a fit for the scheme yeah. and a fit under Nick Sirianni as a young coach as well. You necessarily bringing in that older veteran quarterback wouldn't be the answer for me at least because of Nick Sirianni being at head coach. Different sort of chemistry would be between those guys and all it would be most likely the quarterback would then take over as head coach of the team in, in a way too because you have nick sirianni over there sultana um, sultana real quick not not this guy no i ain't scared of nick Foles. we're not talking about that bringing in that guy no no no, no the no. time with the eagles and nick Foles <laughs> is done until he retires as philadelphia eagle um but for me and going into quarterback, I mean, we the Eagles need Jalen Hurts to work out. They need to in order to get to the next step quicker. Um, and whether it's the the concern for the arm strength, Max, or is it is that your concern, the arm strength, or do you just think he's not the guy that's going to get it done? I just don't think he's the guy that's going to get it done. I don't think he's a good enough passer of the football period. You know, I think overall, you never know what's going to happen in the offseason. Look at all these quarterbacks on the move this year. We never thought Russell Wilson was going to be a Bronco. You know, we never thought Deshaun Watson was going to be a Brown. You never know who's available next offseason uh, that, that's going to be on the open market. We just sit here and we think, oh, everybody's locked in. Everybody's doing well with their positions this year. Depending on what happens, you never know who's going to become available. And I get it. Bryce Young's going to come out of Alabama and he's going to be the sexy name. And people are going to say, hey, Get up there, get the first overall pick. Let's uh, let's draft Bryce Young and, and bring him in. But I think the Eagles, the way they're set up right now, they they need more of a veteran quarterback to come in here. They the, the teams usually, unless you have a catch lightning in a bottle with Patrick Mahomes at his age with with that kind of arm, you know, you need a guy that's been in the league, you know, three four years uh, to come in here and win you a Super Bowl. Because I, I always mention that to you guys. The ultimate goal here is not to make the playoffs. It's not to win a game in the playoffs. It's to win the whole damn thing. 
So you need a quarter. Look at me. Look at the quarterbacks that are competing here for championship year in and year out. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. I guess the outliers the San Francisco 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo, but that's still, they're not going to win a title with Jimmy Garoppolo. They already tried to move on for him with Trey Lance. You know, Russell Wilson going to the Broncos, we'll see. But you have Josh Allen, you have Mahomes. I mean, those are the guys. Those are the big-time names that are gunning for a, a Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson as well, um, even though the Ravens didn't have that great of a season. He's a, he's a talent in itself. And uh, I think the Eagles need that veteran guy to come in here. That's why I kind of wanted them to go out there and get Derek Carr, honestly, because I think Derek Carr with Devontae Adams and with Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, I think I think the Raiders are going to have a good shot, not to win it all, but maybe make a deep playoff run. Well, the thing, yeah. of, but look the at thing Derek, is... look at Derek Carr as a quarterback, real quick. T. look at mm. Derek Carr as a quarterback. If he doesn't have those weapons on his team, are we still even talking about Derek Carr? Because Jalen Hurts, um, there around the league, people analysts have been talking about Jalen Hurts uh, without the weapons on the team because they see something in him, a flash in the pan, maybe they see that talent in Jalen Hurts. But with Derek Carr and, and Jimmy G, quarterbacks that need those skill players in, and players like like Garoppolo, like I mentioned. I mean, if you plug Garoppolo into uh, a Buccaneers team, uh, they, uh, to me, they're still going to the Super Bowl. But Derek Carr, if you take him and put wow. him on the Buccaneers, are they are they going to the Super Bowl? Mm, that's that's a good point so Derek Carr versus who who was Jimmy Gar- I think Derek Carr is better than Jimmy Garoppolo is that the argument here or? it's it's not better it's who would fit more into a successful team already planned out if you remove Tom Brady you put Derek Carr on the Buccaneers are they doing better than a team with Jimmy G on the Buccaneers a player like Jimmy G a quarterback like Jimmy I G. think so I just think Derek Carr is a better thrower of the football I mean a- he's a leader he's a he, he's not mobile but he's mobile enough and I think if you look around like you talk about Justin Herbert for example I mean he's uh, people talking about him in the media like he's some godsend and he's amazing but if you literally think back on it with Keenan Allen with Mike Williams last year with Austin Eckler the list goes on and on he didn't even make the playoffs you know you're you need a veteran I mean everything needs to come together not not only the quarterback but it's a, such a huge part in it and that's kind of why I want the Eagles to go out next offseason and find that guy. Because if you get a veteran guy in here that can throw the football at a high level, be a leader, be mobile enough with A.J. Brown, with Devontae Smith at that point in his third season, uh, and the offensive line continuing to be sturdy uh, in the trenches as well as the defensive line, then things come together for you. You can make a deep run overall. Here's the thing, though. Which but but Jalen Hurts made the playoffs. It, 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 but, here's right, the, but, but here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though, guys. It, it, Derek Carr, I don't believe I haven't heard anything about him being available. So that's number one. Number two, Max. You no, talk no, about, we're not talking. We're not talking. Really going to the Buccaneers? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just talking. But, about I know, I know, I know. But Max also brought up the thing about getting a, a a veteran quarterback. Well, you don't necessarily have to have a veteran quarterback to to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, who did the who did the Los Angeles Rams go up against? Hmm, the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, how long has Joe Burrow been in the league? A couple years. You don't necessarily need a veteran quarterback. You just need the right quarterback. That Bengals team, we can also we can argue, was really an incomplete team. But Joe Burrow, being the type of quarterback that he was, willed that team to the Super Bowl. So you don't necessarily need that veteran quarterback. You just need well, the right quarterback. I think Joe Burrow plays like a veteran quarterback. I mean, this is the first overall pick. I think they also had, I mean, look, look around them. You know, Joe Mixon, the offensive line. Mark Chase, one of the best receivers in football. I mean, it, it all has to come together. I think that's where we have to look big picture. The defense was pretty good. Zach Taylor was a good head coach. Everything really came together for that team this year, and they knocked off the Chiefs, you know, in Kansas City. Um, I think if you put Ryan Tannehill on this Eagles team right now, 
I think the Eagles are a better team. They got a better shot to go make make it wow. deeper in the playoffs than Jalen Hurts. I really truly do. We might have to throw that on our Instagram poll. Uh, if, I, th- I think Ryan Tannehill is a better quarterback. I think he's a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. Whoa, what? Wow. What is wrong with he, you? I mean, That's he doesn't even true. need to be a quarterback, really. He just needs to stand back there and hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. Exactly. Um, but then you again, put, you bring he's up a better A.J. Brown, 1,000-yard receiver. Okay. Um, getting into what needs to be done for this Eagles team and talking about my grade for the draft, I give the Eagles a B because mm. – not assessing the secondary um, on Team E-Talk safety, who needs to be paired up next to Anthony Harris. Cornerback, it can't be just Darius Slay back there. He's getting too old. And, I mean, this season, this past season, he did better. But the season before that, with the injuries, um, you can't rely on Darius Slay to play the entire field. Um, Not And, Max, you did mention this, with not drafting Hamilton, and instead going for that other, uh, that, that center or what, where it be a first round with first Davis. First round, Jordan Davis. Yeah. Um, not establishing the secondary. Going into the draft, we as Eagles fans, and I'm sure the Eagles as a whole knew the secondary was going to be a problem. Not getting the honey badger, that hurt. But what needs to be done? going forward before the season begins. Well, James Bradbury is a free agent. He recently became a free agent, I think all but maybe a day or two ago. So I And he's been rumored to possibly sign with the Eagles. I haven't seen or heard any rumors about him meeting with the team yet or anything of that matter. But that's a guy they need to circle, and that's a guy that, that listen, whatever Bradbury asks for, you give it to him because you need that type of secondary help. You only have yeah. Anthony Harris back there, and that's and he's a liability in coverage. I mean, who the hell? I mean, at, at this current moment, at right now, your free safe, your safeties are looking at Anthony Harris and 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 Marcus, Epps, Epps. And Marcus Epps. Like who 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 the <laughs> hell is Marcus Epps? Like I hate to disrespect him, but like. He's not the type of guy that's going to instill fear in an offense. And with you got a hole on the other side. Let's be on on the other side of the cornerback position opposite Darius Slay. Let's be honest here. We do not want Avante Maddox on the opposite end. We want to keep him in the slot. We already saw what happened when we put him on the outside. Do not put him on the outside. Bring in James Bradbury to shore up at least that other cornerback spot. And safety, uh, you might have to take a chance with safety, but at least you'll have two decent corners to kind of hold down yeah. the offenses. You can't have, you, know, you can't knock every stone down, right. you know, in one off season. What you really hope is get lucky. Maybe, you know, Mario Goodrich or Josh Joe, one of these undrafted corners, you know, steps up and plays well in training camp and maybe can get it. I'm not saying start every single game, but get in there and at least be rotational depth. You know, we also hear about Zach McPherson. Uh, what can he offer this team as training camp comes upon us? So, uh, I think it's going to be big for the Eagles to obviously, you know, scout out those players and see what they can offer. But I agree. You get James Bradbury in here. That's a game changer because you got two corners that are, that are very solid on the defensive side of the ball. You have a defensive line. That's going to be a rotational monster. You have Nicobe Dean leading the linebacker room. Uh, I don't even know who else the Eagles even have in the linebacker room right now. I guess TJ Edwards is still on the team. TJ Edwards uh, is still on the team. But without, without Dean, it was looking really ugly. Now all of a sudden it's like, okay, the Eagles, it looks like, depending on what they run, I don't know if their team's going to be a 3-4 or 4-3 to you, would probably know better than I would. Um, but you have more players out there on the defensive side of the ball that are, you know, I guess, versatile. Because we also talk about Hassan Reddick being an outside linebacker and also an edge rusher at the same time. Yep. 
Yeah, we talk about Bradbury as a potential option T with that $13.4 million salary he will have attached to his name. Dave Gettleman tried to trade. He First off, he signed in 2020 Bradbury. Mm-hmm. That was his claim to fame uh, in New York. That was his move. They had to release a cornerback like Bradbury, top cornerback, I'm not saying I'm not saying top three or anything like that, but top performing cornerback. They had to not trade. They had to cut him in order to afford to sign their draft picks. That's how much of in a hole the Giants were over there. And because of when they cut him, they also lost an extra two million dollars. They tried to trade the Giants, the baby. He, you love it. The reason he wasn't traded was because of that $13 million contract, uh, his his salary that he will claim um, from a team. But I also see the Ravens are out interested in him too. Uh, But should the Eagles bring in that type of salary um, for Bradbury? Not an expensive, not an expensive for the Eagles, at least for the Giants. It was, Um, I mean, they, they had to cut, 12 million just in order to sign the rest of their draft picks. They're in a completely bad situation. Glad we're not New York giants fans um, (laughs) at all. Um, But for the Eagles, you bring in this guy on a one-year contract. Is it a prove it contract? And then you access the extension after the season. Uh, Do you think Bradbury is going to be an easy patch into this secondary? Um, at the the current uh the current structure of this secondary, hell yeah, he'll be an easy patch in. <laughs> hell yeah, you need I don't want to have to rely on like McPherson, an undrafted rookie. You know, yeah, I'd love right. to get Bradbury in there and just solidify the defense even more because that's one of the glaring weaknesses. That cornerback position is the number one uh, weakness on this team right now. That second cornerback position opposite of Slay. If you can get somebody in there to shore it up, you're looking a lot better. Obviously, yes. All right, boys. Let's get into the hard question here. Where do the Eagles sit amongst the NFC East? Ooh, I think they sit. Question. I think they. Sit, it depends on the play. It hurts, but they're either they're top two. Yeah, they're top, top two, two team. Yeah, except for the Cowboys. You know, they're going to be battling for it. I think if Hurts can at least be, you know, serviceable, they got a real good chance with the talent around them to be the number one overall team uh, think, in the NFC. Yeah. But if he struggles, he can't throw the football down the field. He can't get the ball to Devontae Smith which we saw last season, that was a big issue, yes. really not even targeting him a ton, um, then yeah. it's going to be a problem, and the Eagles will probably finish second. It's a different conversation, real quick, to a different conversation than what we would have had uh, two months ago um, or, or months ago before yeah. they got rid of Mari Cooper and, and the players that they had to cut and right. release. And you have basically what really matters – right now in this discussion on who's the top team in the NFC East um, comparing the Eagles and the Cowboys is the quarterback position. You look and say, well, who, who's Dak throwing the ball to you take away his top option and you look at Jalen hurts now with a top option, a one and two secured wide receiver. It's how is Jalen hurts going to be able to play? That's really the biggest question here for the Eagles and for the NFC East 
race as well. T, is that what you're thinking? That's pretty much along the lines of what I'm thinking. I mean, it's like like Max was alluding to. It's a it's a two way race between the Eagles and the Cowboys right now, and I think Jalen Hurts is going to be the biggest difference if Jalen Hurts can at least look like not even a top ten quarterback. If he looks like a top fifteen quarterback, then the Philadelphia Eagles are the top team in the NFC East. They can beat the Cowboys. But if Jalen Hurts goes out and performs like he did last year and only puts up what I think his throwing percentage was about 58%, yeah, that's not going to get it done. That's that's not going to get it done. So I think the difference is in the quarterback position because if you look, if you break down the Eagles uh, roster compared to the Cowboys roster, there there's holes in both of those rosters. In terms of the Cowboys, they lost a lot of their primetime defensive players. Yeah. So that's where the Eagles, you know, kind of caught up with them because they had to get rid of those players. Then they traded away at Mari Cooper. That was a weapon that, you know, they didn't, re- they couldn't really figure out how to stop. Yeah, they still have CeeDee Lamb, you know, and I don't – at this point, Zeke is a, a shell of his former self. But in that offensive line, that offensive line really took hits this offseason. So – I think there's a there's a a chance that the Philadelphia Eagles can overtake the Dallas Cowboys as kings of the NFC East this year. I'm not worried about the Giants. The Giants are still the Giants. The Giants still are you know maybe a couple years away. I, I don't believe in Daniel Jones at all. And the Commanders. Oh my God. Good luck with Carson Wentz, y'all. If Carson Wentz does work out uh, for the time being, uh, I mentioned bridge quarterback there. I don't think they're going to go with Carson Wentz in three years. I don't no. think he's going to be the quarterback. I don't think so. But if Carson Wentz is able to fill that role in, uh, perform better at the end of the season uh, than he did for the Colts, I mean, that was an embarrassing last few game performance. I think that the commanders are going to be a challenge too. I don't think they're going to be easy no. two game sweep. No, they're not um, going to be easy. No. At all. And, it, and when you're talking division games, I don't think it's going to be like that. However, when you talk the Giants, um, I, I think they're going to be way easier uh, to handle. Uh, you go to the commanders with, with young um, and, and how, how Hertz is going to be able to maneuver around him and run away from young while also trying to execute those throws. It's going to be a challenge, um, but let's go to the diamond, the baseball diamond, the Philadelphia Phillies, Eesh. 14 and 17 fourth in the NL East. Um, it's a, it's a close race up until second place. And then in first place, you have the Mets at 21 and 11. Um, the Phillies, they beat the Mariners yesterday, Wednesday. Um, they beat them four two. they won the series. And tonight on Thursday, they played the Dodgers. It's going to be a late one at 10, 10 PM. Um, that's a four game series. And I believe the next series is the Padres. And then they're back in Philadelphia to play the Dodgers. Reese Hoskins, I have to mention my guy, Reese Hoskins. He's on a hot streak, three straight games with a home run, um, including that second career grand slam for him uh, last night. But what is the biggest concern for the Philadelphia Phillies right now? Max, let's start with you. Yeah, I think it's the bats right now, man. They're just not hitting the baseball as consistently as I would like them to. I think the starting pitching overall has been fine. Every, every every so often, you're going to have a, a clunker here or there. But, you know, Wheeler and uh, Ranger had a nice outing against the Mariners. Nola's been very solid the last few times out. So it's not really an issue 
Um, as far as the glaring need, Gibson as well. Eflin, I know he's on the COVID list, but the bats, with, when you talk about that leadoff spot, I think is the biggest concern. I mean, we still cannot find anybody to lead off for this team. Schwarber has just been absolutely brutal in the leadoff spot. We tried JT earlier in the season. That didn't work out uh, for an extended period of time. Uh, so it's just been uh, Segura as well. It's just been a, like a revolving door of options and nothing's been able to stick. So you have a game where the Phillies just, you know, they score four, they score five. I'm just waiting for them to put up like eight, like three games in a row consistently, because this is the kind of team that they have with JT, with Schwarber, uh, with Hoskins, who had a grand slam, Harper, Castellanos. I mean, you just have studs as far as the bats go, power hitters up and down this lineup. Uh, and they just haven't been able to really break open uh, that three, four, five game stretch of just dominating teams like I expected them to, especially because of how decent the pitching has been, even the bullpen for the most part has been pretty solid overall, minus a few outings. But, you know, you talk about Corey Knable. I know everybody wants some points to that Mets game where they blew the seven-run lead or whatever, the six-run lead. But outside of that, Knable's been good. Familia's been fine. Sir Anthony's been decent uh, up and down in that back end of the bullpen. Um, He had a good outing yesterday, an inning and a third, and and so got four outs in relief. It was was very, very solid. Uh, Brad Hand's been okay. You know, you don't really look at one guy in that bullpen who just gets absolutely torched consistently like we saw in previous years. You don't point to one guy and say, hey, you know, that's four outings in a row where he's just gotten his doors blown off. Like, I can't name one guy that I point to and say, hey, you know, that guy is, is a minor league pitcher. You know, it's been it's been pretty decent. So I do agree with you in, in terms of the, the bats are an issue. I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think they're my main issue. I still, it's a two-way tie for me between the, that that bullpen and the defense of this team because I think that's the main thing that's really stopping this team from really being the elite team that we all envision them to be. Max, you talked about the bats. I mean, the bats are inconsistent, yes, but that was the one thing I think before the season even started that we talked about, and everybody was confident that, you know, these bats were going to perform every night, and I'm like, okay, the bats are not – you're not going to get production out of the bats every night. That's just not yeah. going to happen. So you're going to need the pitching. And I'm not just talking about the starting rotation. I'm talking about that bullpen too. It's going to take an entire effort from the pitching in order for you to succeed in these games. And I know you bring up – you just brought it up. You brought up that Mets game where they gave up seven unanswered runs and came back and allowed the, the Mets to win after being after dominating them seven what was it seven to one eight to one like that's absolutely ridiculous I think about games like that how the hell can I have confidence in this baseball team I, I can't I can't rely on the bats every night to do their thing I can't do it so I need help from that bullpen I'm still iffy about that bullpen I'm still iffy about the defense sometimes over this team uh, they should not be 14 and 17. They should not be under yeah. 500. That's my. That's what I'm upset about. This team is built to win. You have way too many damn big bats in this lineup for this team to be under 500. It's absolutely ridiculous. They should not be in the position that they are in. Yeah, and what's weird is the Philadelphia Phillies are seventh in the league with runs per game. They're seventh in the league. Yeah. Uh, which is really weird because when you're watching the game, it doesn't seem like you're watching that team at that seventh. Nope. And also, this wouldn't be a Philly segment about pitching because uh, we did mention pitching without talking about Hector Neres. I mean, he's not on the Phillies anymore, but he's .64 ERA right now yeah. in Houston. 15 games played, and he is They cheat down there down in Houston, though. They, they got to be cheating. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, whether it's trash cans or, you know, pitch meters, whatever, what have you in Houston. Um, But is this Philadelphia Phillies team, are they a playoff team? It's hard to say that they are at this current position. I mean, like I said, they're under 500, 14-17 on the season so far. They have games where they look dominant, and then there's games where, you know, they look like a a middle-of-the-road team. I mean, we talked about them possibly sneaking into the the extra wildcard spot that they've added into the MLB playoffs. But if you look at the entire division, there's no reason why they shouldn't take this division. But for them to be 14 to 17, that's that's unacceptable. And I'm not going to be happy if they make that last wildcard spot because all that's going to confirm to me is that they're in the same, that they're the same mediocre team that we thought that they, we thought, well, I thought that they were, and they're the same mediocre team that they were last year. That doesn't instill confidence in me. I need to be able to see them dominate teams. The manager too is a real issue. I think if they get rid of Girardi and get a new manager in here, they have a shot to make the playoffs. I just, I don't like some of his decision makings when it comes to the moves that he makes. And it just doesn't seem to be a fire lit under this team right now. That you're right. They should not be 14 and 17 or whatever they are. They should definitely have picked up like four or five more wins than what they have right now. And I think with Joe Girardi at the helm at this team, it just, he's coming out there the other night and I know he gets ejected and whatnot. He's barking, but the guys just, their lack of day squat there you know they just feel like they're not really performing at the highest level that they can they're not reaching their potential right now and i think they need to make a managerial change um and whatever's you know it's just not working right now they they need if they're going to make a playoff push and they're going to try to compete with the mets uh, and the braves are going to get hot you know they always do um i think that is one thing to look at whether dombrowski makes that move or not we'll see yeah, and something to bring the bats to life is is helping whatever Schwarber is going through right now um, with yeah. the 185 batting average. Um, I, I know Bryce Harper is he he's up near the top, but Cassianos he's at a 300 batting yeah. average. When you have guys like that, you bring into the team like Cassianos, Schwarber. You already have Harper, Hoskins, uh, JT Realmuto, who who's who has a 255. He, I mean, the bats should be more live throughout the entirety of the game. You don't want to have a a slump in the middle of the game and then and you pick it back up at the end when it's too late. I mean, you look at this loss to the Mets going back a few games where it was what was was it seven nothing in the ninth inning match? Yeah, it was like seven, seven one. Yeah, seven one. one. Seven one. Yeah, and then I mean that that goes to defense as well um and there was a few missed calls in that game too but a team that that should be going to the playoffs clearly easily they don't have games like that that is just embarrassing um the weapons you have on this team um the players the staff uh and we talk about coaching i mean that's that's really the outlier in this one right because you go into the offseason you talk about pitching you improve pitching all right, you you didn't improve maybe the the inside the uh the infield as much as you wanted to, but yeah. it's good enough to outperform uh, most opponents. Uh, when when you go ahead and you fix those problems and you're still not winning games, it, it's got to be coaching. Uh, Joe Girardi, we bring him in from New York, World Series winning coach. You expect more uh, from Joe Girardi, and it's been flat the, these past years. And his job. Um, reportedly is still safe in Philadelphia. Yeah. 
defense is huge guys i mean you both know that i'll wrap up this point on this you know you have bowman third base who's gotten better but he's still not great i think gregorius that might be the worst contract we've ever given lately especially because two years 31 million or whatever it was he's hurt all the time he strikes out a lot his average sucks i mean he's been better than what he was last year but that's not saying a lot he barely hit 200 last season so you know, you got to find a shortstop. I like Johan Camargo right now. He's a switch hitter. He plays the infield at a high level in any position. I mean, we've seen him play first, uh, third, short when needed. Uh, Reese is okay at first base. He's not great, though. I mean, we saw it the other night against Seattle. A couple of errors. I know it was a late night. I don't know if you guys caught it, but definitely saw the highlights. Um, he, overall, the infield defense still struggles. And, you know, with the DH and Schwarber, and I mean, that's another thing we haven't mentioned. Harper having the elbow issue is kind of hurting this team right now because he, he can only DH. So you're not really getting guys off Schwarber playing left field every game. Castellanos playing right every game. Um, you know, you have Quinn who came up in that Rocky series was a lightning bolt on the base pass. And we haven't seen him since he didn't really play in that Mets series. He didn't really play at all in this Mariner series. So I, I get it. He's a guy you're going to pitch run for late in ball games um, and get him an occasional start in the outfield. But um, Herrera has been all right. I mean, we just saw Matt Vierling get optioned to triple a, um, but you guys know baseball is a long season, so we're going to continue to talk about it throughout the season. Um, it's not a starting five like basketball where you have five guys you can bark at. You know, this is a whole team uh, of 26, 27 guys. And if you're going to win a World Series or make the playoffs, you need everybody to step up at different points um, and try to be as consistent as possible. Yeah, exactly. All right, Tay, unless you have anything further to say, that's going to wrap up this show uh, for the Philly Experience Podcast. Next time we're on here, we're going to be dissecting that Eagle schedule that should be coming out later tonight. Uh, That's going to be interesting. I know the fans really liked our last time covering the schedule. And, I mean, aside from Tay, uh, Max and I were were pretty much on the money, and I believe Max took the crown at the end for the accuracy. Barely. Schedule prediction. Uh, It was a close one. Um, Tay, a big WIP guy. That's where we're getting our resources from uh, right now with stats wise and information back there. So he's going to help us along the way as we really look into the schedule, because it is going to be an interesting season. And by the, the visitors and the, the, the away games that we've seen on the schedule, I mean, this might be an easier season for the Eagles uh competition wise but who yeah. knows actually, we're gonna dive deeper into that next the, show t the stats say actually that um the philadelphia eagles have the at least the top one of the top four easiest schedules this season yeah. so you know, that's that'll definitely be a benefit hey when you have the lions on your schedule i mean that's, we, well actually now that you mentioned that there is one schedule leak that we have and that is week one they will be going to Detroit to face the Lions. Second week, they're going to be back here in Philly to face the Minnesota Vikings. So, There you go. All right, that's going to wrap up our show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Finally, able to get back in front of the camera and the microphone. <laughs> you guys missed any of this episode, you can always go to philly-experience.simplecast.com. Available all downloadable platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, the entire Shabazz. The next time you are going to see us we're going to break down this schedule can't wait making big money moves out here baby adulting it's about damn time you dumbass because that guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing get freaky it really pops out and it grows oh you mother.